I've been going through Ecclesiastes or portions of Ecclesiastes to have us focus on prayer. And the reason for that, I see the theme in Ecclesiastes is God works in a messed up world. And how we can be encouraged to worship him, encouraged to serve him, even though we live in a messed up world. Ecclesiastes reminds us on how messed up our world can be. We have expectations. Sometimes, you know, people are, are depressed and discouraged because things don't go the way they thought they should. But Ecclesiastes warns us that, hey, we're in a crazy world. You, you can expect things to go crazy. And when they do go crazy, guess who you can trust in? who you can settle on and, and, and settle in and come to God. In fact, I think sometimes we have some crazy circumstances around us that God uses to draw us to himself. It's like the storm is, is whirling around us, and God says, look to me and rest in me. Sometimes he steals, steals the storm, and sometimes he just anchors us in it. And lets us know no matter what happens, he is with us and he will, he will uh, take us through the challenges that we face and that we meet. Ecclesiastes chapter 8, here's another example of a messed up world. Ecclesiastes chapter 8, starting at verse 10. Then I saw the wicked buried. They used to go in and out of the holy place and were praised in the city where they had done such things. This also is vanity. That's just a short statement, but look what he says. The wicked buried. He's talking about funerals now. And he says, at this funeral, it was obvious that the person who died was wicked. And what happens? They used to go in and out of the holy place. Now, isn't that strange? The wicked going in the holy place? It says that hypocrites whose life didn't show what their real heart and character was. They hid it. And that often takes place in our crazy, messed up world. People are honored for wrong things, or the world holds them in great honor for wrong things. You ever notice when a famous person dies, a well-known person dies, how much credit they get for, for just the life they live when it may not have been even worthy of that. Now, it may be a shame that they died. It may be, uh, uh, it's not like I'm telling you to rejoice because they died necessarily. But they get honor that others to whom honor may be due don't always get. You ever notice that? Just because they're famous, just because you or in a movie, or you wrote a song, doesn't mean your whole life is a testimony and example. And people are falling all out and giving praise and glory to, to that kind of person. That's what he's saying. I saw the wicked buried. They used to go in and out of the holy place and were praised in the city where they had done such things. And he makes the remark, this also is vanity. It dis it's disgusting. <laughs> it can be cause for discouragement if we don't keep our eye on God. And here is, 
is the reason. T check out the next phrase, next uh, um, section. Because, verse 11, I'm in Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verse 11. Because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily, the heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. Have you ever seen that happen? Just the example I gave you. There are famous people. Um, and it says, because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily, the heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. Saying We don't always see their end, and the world has a tendency when you don't see the end of a matter to judge it as good. Or to try to make it come out good. Or to try to play out like it was good. And that's, that's what I see in the lives of, of many famous people. We have stars who are still held in high regard even though they ended their life in the shame of suicide, drug dependency, hurting family members and all types of stuff, but they're still held in high regard. Now there's a point here. Because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily, the heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. Can I give you a warning as parents to take that to heart? <laughs> what did I say as a parent? If you do not bring consequences on a child, they begin to expect that that behavior is okay and they will surely repeat it and increase it. Ecclesiastes is warning us against that. It says, because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily. Can I, can I translate that? Because they don't get a whooping right away. Because they don't get a whooping right away. The heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. They'll keep doing wrong. That's true with children. That's why we do it that way. And it's so important because it's so true with adults. I've used the illustration this way. That, um, there's Aaron there, and he works in our forestry department. And, uh, you know, when you put a young tree, I often see the city plant trees, and they, they'll plant a young tree, and they will put a brace around it on either side and, and tie it to that brace so that it grows up straight. And there's a reason for that, because if this tree gets big and it starts bending over, and it bends over into the travel area, uh, any, you know, I, I drive a big truck from time to time, any trucks uh, that, that are too tall will, will crash into that tree because it's bent over, right? Um, so they want that tree to go straight. <clears throat> while it's young, if it bends over, while it's young, you can brace it and you can set it straight. When it, if it begins to go crooked and you don't correct it, there's no remedy for it. Once it gets large and mature, all you can do now is cut it down. I use that illustration in lives of people. You correct that child while he's young because if you don't, there will be no, it'd be too late to make a right correction. And God's going to have to cut that tree down. Or the police will come and have to cut that tree down. 
You know, today we want this, we want reform on law enforcement, which to me is really silly. It's like, let the criminals do what they want, but don't punish them. This statement says, no, if you do not punish something speedily, you will surely encourage that behavior and it will increase more and more. <clears throat> so we see all kinds of wisdom coming out from the wisdom book. It, it teaches us another thing too, and that's this. When we get wise, or, or as we grow wiser, we are able to see what consequences will come even if they don't come. And we're able to steer away from that. You know what I mean? In other words, you don't have to wait till you're in danger to correct someone who's wise. Just the fear of danger is enough. And they say, hey, I'm a, thanks for warning me. I'll stay away from that. It's like, like a person saying, hey, uh, be careful, that road over there is really slippery. You might want to reroute and go another way. They don't have to wait till they get on a road and spin out. Oh, it is slippery. I better go another It may be too late then. A wise person will take warning. They don't have to get beat down before they understand that something is wrong or dangerous. They will listen to words and not just wait for circumstances. A foolish person has to see the circumstance. You told them, but that means nothing until they experience it. And then sometimes it's too late to correct then. There's so much wisdom <coughs> that comes from God's word. But he's, he's writing this because he's saying we live in a messed up world. Listen to God. Take heed. Also, the, the key for tonight is, is pray. Trust in God. Lean on him. Um, depend on him. Rely upon him. Rely on his word, his truth. Rely on his grace. Be thankful for that. Verse 12. Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, yet I know <clears throat> that it will be well with those who fear God because they fear before him. He's saying, even if it goes well with the sinner, don't take that as a mark of, of God's approval. Be obedient to the Lord. Trust him. That's, that's where trust comes in. Um, I hate when I see um, evil being rewarded, but the fact is we live in an evil world and that may happen. And he's saying, even if that happens, know what is right and do what is right. Trust the Lord. In this world, you may not get rewarded for right things. But we know that when we give account to God, when we stand before God, he will reward, he will punish, he will reward. He'll reward right, he will punish evil. Going, let me just close with this. Going, it, tra it traces you back or it tracks you forward, I should say, to the end of uh, Ecclesiastes, where he comes up with his conclusion. Remember that one? Basically, going to give account to God. God is going to judge. 
Ecclesiastes 12, 13, the end of the matter, all has been said, fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man, for God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. So we're wise to know that. We're wise to be faithful and knowing that we live in a crazy world and things uh, can, can, can be switched around, but there's coming a time when God will set things right. He's going to reward right and good. He's going to punish, um, bring judgment on evil. And so we want to walk with the Lord. How do we do that? By faith in Christ. We trust in Christ. We look at him as, as a payment for our sin. and we look to him for our salvation. Lie in him. We rest in him. And we live that way because of who he is and because of what he's done and because of who he's made us to be his children now. So even if the world doesn't seem to reward our faith, we know God will and we continue. We're steadfast in it. We're steadfast in obedience to God. Good evening, saints. going to be in John 10. You know, we've been kind of taking a long time to get through this gospel, but then meditation is a little bit slower than going through another way more. But meditation, you know, it takes a while to go. Don't, don't be impatient. Yeah, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought them all on his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus said again to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scat scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. What is Jesus talking about in this passage? 
In the first five verses, he lays out his thoughts, but they didn't understand. So then, in the next part, he explains it. The first part, he talks about he who does not enter the sheep flow by the right way is a thief and a robber. And he says, he who enters by the door is a shepherd. To him, the gatekeeper opens. He talks about the sheep following them and how a sheep won't follow a stranger. What is he talking about? What's the sheepfold represent? Sheepfold. What's the sheepfold represent? Okay. Definitely is somewhere where believers are. That's for sure, right? What did you say? It definitely could be considered to be like heaven, but what it says here it says, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in another way, that man is a thief and a robber. So, can a thief break into heaven? Yeah, I would say that it is a public representation of where people of God meet. Does everybody who come into the church, are they saved? No, right? Some people come into the church by all kind of ways and all kind of means. Now, he talks about the gatekeeper, and he talks about the door. He says he is the door. How is Jesus like a door? You have to go through him to get to where the people of God meet legitimately, right? Just think about it this way. There are illegitimate ways to get to where the people of God meet, right? Let's talk about those. What are illegitimate ways that people ingratiate themselves, or that's maybe a big word, but it's saying, how do people sneak their way into church and get approved? in ways that are not right. On your status. They could pretend. Silver tongues, flattery. Yeah, lack of status could be a status to some people, right? There are lots of ways to sneak in. What Jesus is talking about is you got to go through the door, through him to have legitimate access to where the people of God meet. What does that mean? Okay. So you're saying it's a distinction between the visible church and the invisible church, right? So what is the visible church? That's what we see. What's the invisible church? That's everybody who's a believer, right? We don't always know who is part of the believing. But the Lord knows. Everybody who goes through the door, he knows. Everybody who doesn't go the door, he knows too. Think of it this way. Which, who suspected Judas? 
nobody. Right? They all thought he was legit. And what happened? He betrayed them. How many people have seen somebody who they thought was a Christian and thought would still be in his church and is now gone? Okay, so it's basically everybody. So there's a lot of people who sneak in. They didn't come through the door. Now Jesus switches the analogy and says, I am the good shepherd. What is he referring to with that? Well, let me just be real blunt with you that Ezekiel talked a lot about shepherds, but he doesn't use a good way to talk about shepherds. He talks about shepherds feeding themselves off of the sheep. He talks about the Israelite leaders. So Jesus, if you were understand, if you were a Pharisee and you studied the scriptures as much as you say you think you studied them, this is a backhand slap right here. Oh, I'm a good shepherd. Wait a second. Are you talking about us now? Oh, yeah, yeah. I don't eat the sheep. I feed the sheep. I lay down my life. I'm not the one trying to benefit off of these sheep. I'm looking out for the welfare of these sheep. It's funny to be a pastor and training to be a pastor and meeting with pastors because when you meet with pastors, um, some pastors get caught up in thinking that they are shepherd. But a pastor is a sheep too. And so there needs to be this inclusion. The pastor is a, he a funny, he's a funny position because the pastor is leading the sheep, but then he also realizes he's a sheep too. Reaching out to the shepherd. Who's in charge? Is Jesus. Not the sheep. No sheep is in charge. In fact, we call ourselves pastors, and that is a biblical term. What does pastor mean, though? Pastor points to the idea of shepherd, right? But the pastor is in a conflicting role. He can never forget the fact that he is not as good as the shepherd, even if he is a shepherd. And he is no better than any other sheep, even though he leads. He's in this conflicting role. And so that's why we got to pray for our pastors, because they have temptations that other people don't necessarily have to face. We met with our pastors yesterday, and, you know, there's this idea that, man, I really got to make our people learn this stuff. I got to make us develop somehow. As if the growth and the energy is coming from you, and you could wear yourself out like that. And a lot of these pastors, they come in, they wore out, and then we all remind each other, you know what? Don't God got his own program? You know, when I'm done with my meditation, the reason that I can end my meditation is because if I really thought it was my own effort that was going to help you to learn what God wants you to learn, my meditation wouldn't end until 1130. Because I would keep on thinking, I'm not doing enough. But I have to let go. Why can't I let go? Because I know that it is not me that is feeding you. It is not me that's protecting you. It's not me that's developing you. It's not even me that's setting the plan. It's God who's doing that. Jesus is both the door and the shepherd. He's protecting us, and he's leading us, and he's feeding us. And you know what that means? 
that means it's in his hands. That means sometimes we have to let go. That means that sometimes we develop somebody and we'll be like, you know what? I see him going the wrong way. I can't save him. God, you're going to save him. And it takes away the force of human effort. But we can wear ourselves out. Ecclesiastes said this, much study is wearisome to the flesh. We could think it's up to us, and we wear ourselves out that way. We are not meant to bear the role of God. And when we take that upon ourselves, all we do is kill ourselves. I believe a lot of our stress as humans come from taking on roles that God didn't give to us. One YouTuber, he put it like this, we got women trying to bear weights that they're not supposed to, but God made weights for shoulders, not hips. Which he was talking about, they're they taking men's roles and they're getting worn out by them. I was like, that's true. But then we men trying to take roles that are fit for God, not men. We all have to lay our burdens down where? At the feet of Jesus. There's burdens he can't, he only can bear. We can't bear. That's where faith comes from, amen? Good evening, everybody. Today I want to just have our prayer focus be on um, just church attendance. Um, COVID kind of took a hit on our attendance. Um, and there's some people that could be doing better, a little bit better on regular attending. Um, also, I mean, look at Sunday compared to like now. You know, um, we could do better on Wednesday attendance as well. So let's just pray that the Lord stirs up the people's hearts to continue to be in fellowship and present with us, even though we have the laptop or the tablet virtual, it doesn't replace actual people interaction, actual people connection that you get from a church. You don't get that anywhere else. You don't get the person that talks to you when you come in the door and welcomes you and that you can talk to about issues in your life or joys in your life. Um, just that connection you get, you don't get that with a, a computer. You get the message, but it stops there. You, you lose part of that relationship you get as being part of the body of Christ. So we'll just have the two people pray on that, and I will close this up. Thank you. Hello, we pray for those that are here. We thank you for them. They encourage our hearts as we see fellow believers coming out on Wednesday and attending church services. Lord, we, we as believers need each other. We need each other to hold each other up and to hold us accountable, Lord, and to hear some of the things that are on our hearts that we petition the throne of grace with on Wednesdays, Lord. So we pray for those who could be here but who are not. And Lord, then we thank you for allowing us to come to you boldly to the throne of grace, Lord, and thank you for um, the people that do come out on Wednesday and that we thank you for their faithfulness. We thank you for our pastor who studies his word and um, the, the deacons who study, Lord, and, and are burdened by um, the things of the world and uh, uh, petition the throne of grace, Lord. And I just thank you for that and pray that you will continue to be with us, Lord, as we serve here on this corner, Lord, as we proclaim your 
um, birth at this time of this uh, this time of the year, Lord. We thank you for um, being born and then dying on the cross for our sins and then rising again. We thank you for that, Lord. And we thank you, Lord, for because you have called us out and that we are here, Lord, because you have called us. And Lord, help us to be faithful to what you have called us to. In Jesus' name, I thank and praise you. Amen. Heavenly Father, uh, a year ago, I don't think any of us would have ever thought that we are in the position we're in now, Lord. The condition of the world and the fear that we've lived in almost for 12 months now, Lord. Um, we just pray, Father, for um, our congregation here, Lord, that uh, you would you would bring back the faithful, Lord, that we've been, been away, we've dealt with some tough things, Lord, and we've seen what this virus has to offer, Lord, but your power is so much greater, Lord, than anything that, uh, that this, Lord, that this, this world, this uh, mortal life can throw. Pray, Lord, that um, while there's many that are outside of the faith and outside of the church, Lord, that have prayed that those you've been working on, Lord, you would steer them here to sweet communion as we've committed to serving you, committed to our souls, those lost sheep, Lord, would be connected to a sweet communion member, Lord, and would be um, be drawn to, to plug them into this part of the body here in Milwaukee. Lord, we pray for um, our, our partner churches and the local churches for forgiveness, Lord, for, um, for our doubts, for our fears, um, for not trusting in you, Lord, for uh, being afraid of death. Lord, you've called us to be told us that, that death has no power over him and has no power over us, Lord. So we just pray for forgiveness, Lord, for, for those that, a world that has no hope, a world that is on the path to destruction, a world that is confused and um, is lying to itself, Lord. We just pray that you continue to use sweet, sweet communion here on the corner of 35th and Vienna, Lord, to be a light. Knowing your perfect plan, you've designed the church to be a body. The body functions as a unit. The body doesn't function as separate islands disconnected from each other, Lord, but a closeness of tissues, muscle, bone that works together as one unit, Lord. And we ask that you just be with our body, Lord, the church body, that you continue to um, strengthen the hearts of those who are steadfast in coming. Lord, I know sometimes I'm tired on a Wednesday night, and I would rather be at home, but I know that it is better to be here and in your presence, Lord, than by myself. Lord, we ask that you continue to just stir up the saints that may not be with us here all the time, Lord, that um, you help them, one, if if it is an excuse that you wouldn't find one as a good one, Lord, that we ask that you open their eyes to that, to poor excuses, Lord, and that you um, give them that zeal to be here, Lord, that you can get so much from church, Lord, that um, every time we come, we're refreshed, Lord. We ask that you just open their eyes. Lord, we ask for you to be with us seven days a week, but we don't want to give you one or two. Lord, we ask that you just um, stir those people up. Continue to strengthen your body, even in this time when we need to be together, Lord, because this virus is pushing us apart. This government is trying to use the virus to push us apart. Close church doors, Lord. We ask that you just um, help us to continue to stand firm and stand together as one body, Lord, in, in the way you determine this church to be, Lord, that we can cry on each other's shoulders, Lord, that we can laugh with each other's joys, Lord, that we can hold each other in an embrace, Lord, that is a godly embrace, 
that you have designed for us to be in perfect communion. In your name we pray.